Okay, good morning. So um, the council and I, we talked last month, and knowing that we were doing our annual business meeting, I don't like the word membership in the, wor- in the form of membership. We are a church family, and we are the bride of Christ. And we are a part of the body of Christ. And when we talk about church membership, what we're talking about is you making a decision, just like you made a decision to follow Christ, that you're making a decision here to partner with this church family to go out and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we talk about when we're talking about membership. We're not asking you to sign over a declaration of, you know, that you're going to be here every Sunday and how much you're going to get. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We're talking about you partnering up with us to spread the gospel. Okay, amen? So... I threw this logo right here into our lesson for today. So, it, you know, you guys all have this little booklet here. And literally, I'm going to go over every single one of these topics. However, in this pamphlet, they're not in actual declaration order of the four square doctrines. But we're going to go through them. I'm going to give a little more in-depth behind them. And if later you say, Chris, on bullet point 14, I really didn't understand that, I have an entire doctrine to really break it down, and, and I, I will be happy to share it with you later and sit down and talk with you about any of that stuff, but I think that what's important is like what Kelly mentioned, Kelly left, <laughs> she went to children's ministry, right? Okay, so what Kelly was mentioning was that before I say I'm going to partner up and be a part of what you're doing, I want to know what you're all about, right? Am I joining a cult? Am I, am I, Who are these four square people? Like, I've heard of church, right? Like, I grew up and heard of church, and we went to this small church around the corner, and it was very conservative, and everybody wore suits and ties, and, you know, it was a, I think it was a a Baptist church. You know, I got saved in a Baptist church, so I can talk about it. You know, oh, I, you know, it's a, you know, they were very conservative, and then, and then when I was at that Baptist church, they talked about these holy rollers and these strange things that people did, and we don't like the word weird in four square. I don't like the word weird. There are some other Christian denominations that can do some outrageous stuff that I would even classify like, that was kind of weird. But listen, we're not weird, okay? But what we're gonna cover what we're gonna cover today is I'm sure that everybody has this question when you came through the doors. What is Foursquare? What does that mean? Who is Foursquare? What do they believe? Am I am, am I in the right place? Let's let's go back one more though, guys. Let's go back to that. Um, no, go back to the logo. I want to start with the logo. So let's talk about what the Foursquare logo means. This is the, your booklet says it's the fourfold ministry of Jesus Christ. And stop right there, because your, your booklet says Jesus Christ on the first line, but it's Jesus Christ on every line. The fourfold ministry of the Foursquare logo is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the upper left box. Jesus Christ as baptizer of the Holy Spirit in the lower left box. Why? Because Jesus promised to send you the helper when he left, right? Jesus promised, I will send you the helper, okay? So Jesus Christ is your baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Then the cup represents Jesus Christ as healer. And then in the bottom, it represents in the fourth corner there, Jesus Christ as the coming king. So let's just stop right there because before you ever grace the doors of Foursquare, you were like, what do those four images mean? What kind of cult am I getting into? What's, what's going on? That's what those four squares mean right there. 
Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is healer. And Jesus Christ is second king, coming king. Coming again, second coming king. We'll get into that. So where did four squares start? I'm going to, this is, I'm not even going to go into this. It's in your booklet there about Amy Simple McPherson. I think it's pronounced McPherson. I've heard it many times, McPherson, McPherson. McPherson, it's McPherson. Um, Amy started the church in 1923 down in Los Angeles at the corner of Echo Park, Angeles Temple. It's still there today. I watched a really interesting 45-minute documentary about the history of Angeles Temple, and it's amazing. Well, Chris, how did you get connected to Foursquare, and what do you know about Foursquare? Well, I'll tell you. I first plugged into a Foursquare church about six years ago in Escondido, California. Now, I was already familiar with our Pentecostal background, so Pentecostal uh, belief system was not weird or strange to me, so I dived into this church Foursquare, and I wanted to find out what it was really all about, my wife and I and my family, when we were down in San Diego. The church that we were in there was founded in 1930 after Amy Simple McPherson came down to Balboa Park in San Diego and held one of the largest revivals in Southern California in history. And a lot of the Foursquare church branched off of that. So that's where a lot of our history comes from in California, okay? But Amy Simple McPherson, she's the one who started our fellowship, okay, back in 1923. So let's go over quite a few things you can follow along in here or see what we're talking about, but what we're going to talk about today are essentials. These are called four square essentials. These are our solid doctrinal beliefs. These are declarations of our faith as four square. So if I miss something today and you say, hey, I always wondered this. If I didn't read it, then no wonder no more because that's just a thought. You know, that's just a question. If I don't read and cover it today, then it's not a part of our declaration of faith. But if you do have questions, please, please come to me later. So who are we and what do we believe? We're going to read it in order. Well, the first thing that the Foursquare belief system is, is the Holy Scriptures. And I've got 25 minutes and a lot to kind of cover. It looks like a lot to me. Take my time. Thank you, Dale. Holy Scriptures placed in the first position. Article 1 in the Foursquare Declaration of Faith asserts the importance of the Holy Scriptures as a guide to our faith and practice. Because they were written by human beings who were moved upon and inspired by the Holy Spirit and authored by the Lord himself because he sent the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are trustworthy and enduring. As a result, the scriptures, they perform many important functions in our personal and communal salvation. That is why we teach from the scriptures. That is why we read the scriptures. That is why the scripture is breathed in and out of us every day. It's a part of our personal and communal salvation. Let's look at number two. There's 21, so that's what I'm saying. I'm going to try to get through these. I, I will not go too fast. The eternal Godhead. Well, what does that mean that you guys believe in the eternal Godhead? It means that Foursquare stands that we believe the doctrine of the nature of God as a triune. It is an essential in Foursquare and a distinctive aspect of the Christian faith it is essential because it describes who Christians worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe they are all one. Okay? That is what we believe. So if you wondered, what do, what do you guys believe? Do you guys believe like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit separate? No. We believe they're all one. Well, do you believe like the Father was in heaven and the Holy Spirit was a part of that because it's the Spirit of God, but Jesus was a man that came? No. We believe that they're all one. 
There's no way to separate that trinity is what I'm trying to say. We believe, number three, in the fall of man. It is an essential. The scriptural and traditional Christian doctrine of the creation of humankind in the image and likeness of God in the very beginning of Genesis, right? And then the fall of humanity into sin through a misuse of its free will is a critical element in the four square church's understanding of life in this world and its preaching the gospel, okay? And you remember my favorite part where I always try to remind you, in the garden when Eve took and ate of the forbidden fruit, remember that she turned around and gave it to the man, so he was right there. So remember, all you men who think that we just, that was the woman, let me remind you and reel you back in, we were standing there while she did it, didn't stop her, didn't say anything, and then we even partook. People pleasers, okay? <laughs> we believe number four. We believe in the plan of redemption. This is an essential to Foursquare. Redemption refers to God's reconciling, reconciling activity. The work of reconciliation as a salvific that's the word they use there. As a salvific event, event and process is initiated and completed by the mutual work, mutual work of the Father, Son, and Spirit. In who? Christ. God accomplished what human effort could not. The work of reconciliation belongs to Jesus' life, ministry, suffering, resurrection, and ascension. Right? That is what we believe. That is an essential we don't believe anything outside of that. The Foursquare Church understands God redemptive, God's redemptive work in Jesus Christ as foundational to our Christian faith. That is what we believe. We don't believe any other way to redemption. You don't get into heaven because you're good. You don't get into heaven because you gave. You don't get into heaven because you loved people. You don't get into heaven because you didn't sin between 2017 and 2024 and you had a great heart that, that period of time. You don't get into heaven because you stopped sinning when you realized you were a sinner and didn't sin for the rest of your life. There's none of the th ways that you get into heaven. We believe that the only way to get into heaven is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is how you're going to get into heaven. And you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus raised God from the dead, you'll be saved. Amen? That is what we believe. Five. Number five, we believe in salvation through good works? No. Grace. Salvation comes through grace. Justification is the divine act through which God makes sinful humanity acceptable before a righteous God. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ declares that sinners are justified and brought into relationship with God by faith in God's grace alone. Romans 3, 23 through 28. You can look that up. You can write that in your notes. Romans 3, 23 through 28. Though justification is a forensic or legal term, it, not, it ought not be understood merely as such, for it is also God's loving, benevolent action historically rendered on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Okay, there it is right there. God's act of justification is a free gift and not dependent upon us. Okay? Although it does call for our response. 
You're going to hear the gospel. You're either going to accept it or reject it. So there is a response required. We cannot be deserving of justification by our faith. Instead, faith is the only proper response of trust and recognition of God's unqualified acceptance of us. The four-square church understands God's justification by, faith, by grace through faith as a fundamental doctrine. This is essential. These are our essentials. Like I said, when I get through the list, you're going to be like, wow, I thought all this other weird stuff. No. Nothing weird. That's who we are, the four-fold ministry of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, baptizer of the Holy Spirit, healer, and coming king. We read all that in the Bible, right? Yes, makes sense. Here we go, number six. We believe it is essential. Repentance and acceptance. One of the more crucial components of a growing Christian's spiritual vibrancy is a life marked. They put here perennially, per, perennially marked. But I'll take that word out and make it simple. <laughs> spiritual vibrancy is a life marked by repentance and the changing of heart. Of, God, of turning back to God in fullness and sincerity of heart, mind, soul, and body. One of the identifying markers of this repentance experience is the renunciation of sin in both personal and public arenas met by an ongoing confession of intent. Didn't say perfection. It says of intent to return to a right fellowship with God through acts of righting wrong. Isn't that what the life of a believer looks like? We know we're sinful, but we want to sin less. And when we're wrong, what do we do about it? We try to make it right. That is what that is saying right there. To simplify it, that is one of the identifying markers. That this, has, that this act is taking place in your heart. These are identifying markers. We're going to get to some more of those. As such, relationship with God in the biblical narrative is not limited to intent alone, but the ongoing work to bend human activity and life to the ways of Jesus. That's where we, become, we begin to be like Christ. Christ's likeness in our life. That's one of our essentials. Here we go. Next essential. Number seven, new birth and security of the believer. How does one discern if someone has undergone true conversion and or repentance? At the heart of the Christian theology of salvation is the doctrine of the new birth. The new birth, in essence, speaks to the holistic transformation of a person's life in light of their encounter with Jesus through salvation. If I'm going too fast, somebody stop me. Through new birth, not only are lives, practices, and externalities transformed, but so is the human heart, affections, emotions, and inner man. This holistic transformation marks the difference between religiosity and gospel transformation. You get that? There's another mark. This is something that becomes evident in your life. This is essential. While one changes the religious habits of a person, the other changes the entire orientation or direction of a person. God's kingdom beckons all of us to come. All of us come to love and worship the king, not just our religious habits. My wife and I were talking about that this morning with somebody else, about what's religious and what's faith. 
Daily Christian living. Number eight, daily Christian living. Doing good on my time here. I think I'm going to be right on it. (laughs) We're going to get into some heavy stuff at the end. Heavy. Scary. No, I'm kidding. We're just going to talk about heaven and hell in the end. Hope you're ready. Daily Christian living. It is both our belief and our practice that having been made positionally holy by the blood of Jesus and practically holy through the new birth of the Holy Spirit, we are now called, enabled, and empowered to be holy in our daily lives. This is essential. Both as individuals and in communities, the pursuit of holiness and the practice of holy daily living serves as a witness to the justifying and sanctifying work of Christ that sets you apart. It sets us apart, but I'm, sets you apart from the brokenness of the world in which we live. Okay? Daily Christian living. Not nightly Christian living, when I want to Christian living, when it feels right Christian living. How about this one? Sunday morning Christian living. It's not. Okay, we believe in number nine, water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Oh, you guys do water baptism? Yeah, we did it in my house last summer in the pool. It was awesome. Right, Mike? Woo! We had a good time. We're going to do that again this summer. We're going to get more people. We're going to grow this this church by then, this church family is going to grow, and we're going to have new people, and we're going to baptize this year at the summer baptism. You ever notice that about once a month, we also do the Lord's Supper? Okay, well, what do we believe in those things, Chris? This is like common stuff, Chris, that I hear everywhere I go. I know. Water baptism and the Lord's Supper are two ordinances. So these are essentials in which we express outwardly what is taking place inwardly. In the waters of baptism, we join Christ in a symbolic death unto ourselves. You go under, you come up. You go under, you die to self, you come up reborn, new in Christ. It is a symbolic death unto ourselves and are raised in a new life with him. As we gather for the Lord's Supper, we remember the broken body and and the shed blood of Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, causing all who eat and drink of this meal to examine themselves unto repentance. Because we talked about that a few back, right? That's what the life of a believer looks like. It is essential. Here's a good one. Now we're going to start getting into some more heavy stuff. Number 10, we believe in, it is essential, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whoa, Chris, the church I went to, we just got baptized in the water. I know. Well, there's another baptism. You remember our original Foursquare logo up here? And it showed the dove? You remember the story of the dove? The heavens opened up, the dove came down and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, it wasn't necessarily a dove, but the Bible says that the spirit descended upon him and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay? There is a second baptism there, yes? So when Jesus was baptized in the water and came out of the water, another baptism took place. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit describes an experience by which Jesus Christ fills a believer with the Holy Spirit. You ever seen what a life filled with the Holy Spirit looks like? Take a look around here. You see some people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Okay, we're going to get into moderation in a bit, and you'll understand, because you're like, I don't see anybody jumping off the walls. Well, we're going to talk about that, okay? (laughs) The baptism in the Holy Spirit describes an experience by which Jesus Christ fills a believer with the Holy Spirit in order to provide much-needed help and empowerment in their prayers, witness, and lifestyle. 
wow, Chris, does that mean that if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I have more power in my prayers, witness, and lifestyle? That's exactly what I just said, isn't it? A believer may expect their initial reception and ongoing of the Holy Spirit to align with the experiences of the early church. What does baptism with the Holy Spirit look like? Well, let's just read about the day of Pentecost. That's what it should look like in your life. Amen? You should be so excited and filled with joy, and you're ready to just go out and tell everybody and just bring everybody into the circle like, dude, you should see what I found over here. Jesus Christ, as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, is one of the four cardinal beliefs of the four-square church. That is part of a four-fold ministry of what we believe. Number 11, spirit-filled life. Just as it is essential for believers to welcome and invite the fullness of the Holy Spirit's empowering presence in their lives, it is vitally important that they intentionally cultivate a growing awareness, sensitivity to, and relationship with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Just as it is essential for believers to welcome and invite the fullness of the Holy Spirit's empowering presence into their lives, we talked about that empowering in their prayer, witness, and lifestyle, it is vitally important that they intentionally cultivate a growing awareness, sensitivity to, and relationship with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. There are certain actions, attitudes, and habits that may quench or hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there are others that will make room for individuals and communities to be led and directed by the Spirit on a regular basis. These, in turn, will influence the long-term fruitfulness and effectiveness of one's life and ministry. Let's talk about Article 12. Number 12, gifts and fruit of the Spirit. Article 12 of the Declaration of the Faith emphasizes... The 1 Corinthians 12 gifts of the manifestations of the Spirit, establishing that all nine of these gifts are for the church today. We don't believe that the gifts of the church and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues and everything that took place at the day of Pentecost, we do not believe that only those things took place in the original first church and then it's gone away. We don't believe that. We believe that those things are ongoing today still, right? It's a big part of what we believe. That's an essential it also emphasizes the Galatians 5 fruit of the Spirit, noting that these kingdom attributes are clear evidence of a Spirit-filled life. Number 13, moderation. What does that mean? Foursquare holds to a passionate commitment to moderation in both worship and lifestyle. We seek to live the middle way between extremes in all we do. In our worship, we seek the middle way between cold, powerless, unexpressive religion on the one hand, and unrestrained behavior and emotionalism on the other. In our lives, we seek the middle way because legalistic fundamentalism on the, uh, on the one hand and unrestrained, liber unrestrained liberty on the other hand. Do you picture Jesus, if they were going to be singing praises to God, do you picture Jesus running around, jumping off the walls, waving snakes, and doing weird things like that? Strange things like that? No, you don't. But do you picture Jesus doing the, I, I saw this really funny um, meme a long time ago, it was like, uh, it wasn't a meme, it was a video, the guy, everybody's seen this one, the, 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 the different praises of worship, I just remember two of them, the, the hold the TV, cold, 
I had a worship leader, and I love Skip because I, I, I believe that this is flowing out of Skip because I heard it at a Pentecostal leader, uh, worship leader. He said one time, he got the whole church fired up. He said, God gave you hands to clap and a voice to sing, and you better use it. Stop standing there in your seat. And I was like, yes, get him. <laughs> but we believe in moderation. So we're not going to run around up here with snakes. We're not going to beat you with our jacket. Okay? But we're also not going to sit back and not allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done. We're going to pray. We're going to pray in faith. We're going to pray boldly. We're going to pray loud if we have to. We're going to sing. We're going to clap our hands. And we're going to give praise and worship to our King. Amen? We believe in divine healing. Article 14 centers on Jesus' power to heal those who are sick and afflicted. It emphasizes that Jesus continues to heal people today because why? Over in that corner, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't change. He didn't say, I only healed people when I was here. Only the people in the new church healed people for a little while to just build the faith. That ended. There's a lot of churches that just don't. There's a lot of Christians who just really struggle with healing. Because why? Because they've been hurt when they wanted healing and it didn't happen. Chris, where do you go with that? I always go to the same place. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself said, if this cup can pass for me, let's let that happen. But if not, your will, not mine. And what happened? We all know what happened. So what is God's will and what is our will? We will never understand. We just won't. And every single person that Jesus ever healed, they all died later. They all physically died later. It's a fact. From the fall of man, sin brings death to the body. And one day we will all die. Physically, our bodies will die. Unless... Coming king comes and takes us into the air before then, amen, I'm waiting for that, and I feel the times, take a look around, the weather's looking real close. But they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Well, did you also know that 2,000 years before that was when Abraham was here, and all these promises were given, and took 2,000 years for that coming king? Well, it's 2,000 years later. We believe in divine healing. And that he heals an answer to believing prayer. Number 15, the second coming. We believe in the second coming. That is essential. Now whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, we talked about this this morning. That's non-essential in Foursquare. Because there's so many different ways to interpret what's being read. It's not written out in black and white. The Bible doesn't tell you exactly what hell is. But it lets you know that hell's there, yes? So it's up to your own interpretation. Article 15 of the Declaration of Faith. I'm going to read this fast because i got so many minutes and i got some more to get through, but they'll go quick. Article 15 of the Declaration centers on the return of Jesus Christ to consummate God's plan of redemption. The article emphasizes the imminence of his return, highlights some important tasks we are to be about as believers while we await this blessed hope and notes certain events described in 1 Thessalonians 4 that are associated with Jesus' Jesus's return. Understanding specific details surrounding his second coming are variously interpreted in Christ, Christendom, 
including within Foursquare, depending on one's larger eschatological theology. What's eschatology, Chris? Eschatology is the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of end times, the study of the end of days, the study of the book of uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not called the book of Revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Eschatology is the doctrine of last things, which reflects on the consummation of God's purposes, Ephesians 1.10. One's eschatological conclusions are based upon this school of theology, from, one, from which one approaches this theme. Eschatological conclusions are also closely connected to one's hermeneutical principles. The earliest days of Foursquare, this is where Foursquare started, which most churches did, the earliest days of Foursquare were characterized by dispensational eschatology. What does that mean? They were always trying to figure it out. They were always studying and talking about it, and they were giving their own conclusions. Dispensational eschatology, which emphasized such teachings as pre-tribulation rapture, Christ's secret return, separate from his second coming. It's clear there will be a second coming, that Christ will come and reign a thousand years on earth, but pre-trib believes that Christ is going to come and just swoop up everybody who's been following and saved and ready to go, okay? That's pre-trib. That's what I believe. If you ask me later why, I'll tell you what scriptures lead me to believe that. Uh, tied to discerning the eschatological significance of current world events. Well, we all know that the Bible said that one day Israel would be a nation again, and Israel had been in captivity and bondage to other nations for the last, ooh, let's see. They were taken into bondage when I did my map up here around... 500, 400, 500, 600, somewhere around there, and they went into captivity. At that point, they were no longer a nation. That was five, 600 years before Christ. Well, Israel became a nation again in 1948. Okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, we believe a literal, they believed a literal millennial reign of Christ centered around na national Israel who experienced the heretofore, or before now, suspended kingdom of heaven, a distinction between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, hell being a place of literal fire and heaven being a place of literal golden streets. This is still a highly affirmed view within Foursquare globally, as well as many within Pentecostal and evangelical denominations. Your interpretation of is hell a place of fire and is heaven streets of gold, that's up to you. That's what they're saying is going on here, and some people are still stick to this. You have your own, when you close your eyes, you have your own vision of heaven and hell. All right, guys, we're going over today. Love you all, sorry. Beginning in the 1980s, Foursquare began to teach a more historic, reformed eschatology that allows for alternate views of the timing of the rapture. I'll end it right there. So that's why I say it's not, the second coming of Christ is a central part of our belief. The way he's going to return Depending on when the rapture is going to take place, that's up to your own interpretation. 60% of Foursquare pastors believe pre, 33 to 37% believe post, and 3 to 7% believe mid-tribulation. Let's talk about the good one. Church relationship. Why, Chris? Well, I'll tell you why. For those of you at home, you are not going to like me. In this article, our founder boldly and unapologetically stated that Christians are to be active participants of a local faith community that is faithfully dedicated to God's purposes. The Walmart store that you shop at on Tuesday is not 
willfully on track for God's purposes. When you go to Winco to get your groceries, that organization is not on track with God's purposes. But when you do not come to church on Sunday because you say that you're still afraid of COVID on Sunday morning, your pastor has a problem with that. Sorry. I love everybody at home, but I do. Because you're going out and doing all these other things, and you're facing your fear there, but you're afraid to come and fellowship with us on Sunday morning. It's, it's, it breaks my heart. So let's read why. This is a sharp distinction from those who, since New Testament times onward, have attempted to justify living out their Christian lives in isolation or apart from active participation in the Christian community. As Christians, we must understand the purpose and importance of sharing life with others in community for the sake of personal transformation and the mission to which we are called, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And if you are all alone, and you are not connected to a church, and you are not connected to the body of Christ, it is highly likely you are not doing that. It's a fact. I have my Bible. That's all I need. I have Jesus. Well, where's your Bible? It's over here. It should be here. It should be here. While you are here, in this place, or wherever you choose to worship. If you're at home and you don't like, and I offended you, but next week you're going to realize that you need to go back to church, but I offended you. I was the person who offended you in making you realize that. I don't care. Go worship somewhere else. Go somewhere. Plug in and be a part of your local faith community, okay? The only real places this takes place is most likely at a worship service in a building where a family or church family of believers are gathering, okay? It doesn't take place at your job. As Christians, we must understand the purpose of importance of sharing lives and community for the sake of personal transformation and the, and the, and the mission to which we are called. These cannot take place without the gift, responsibility, and encouragement of participating in Christ's body. Either one earnestly seeks and participates in a local church, or by the power of the Spirit, one works toward the birth of a Christian community. So if you're not going to church, that's because you're building a church. We believe civil government. We're appointed by God for good order and protection of all members of society. We seek to live as good members of the society in which we live and work, while maintaining our allegiances to the Word of God. Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, and we are, excuse me, and we as citizens of his kingdom. Civil governments are comprised of fallen human beings. Who? Civil governments are comprised of fallen human beings, so we're not going to approve of everything they do, because they're fallen just like we are. Oh, where do I measure their evil? Is it greater than mine? None of your business. They're fallen human beings who've been elected to that position. And whether we understand it or not, God allowed that to take place for his purpose and will, not ours. We recognize our responsibilities as members of human society to submit to human authority except in things opposed to the will and character of God. Let's go to number 18. We believe in final judgment. This is essential. Article 18 of the Declaration of Faith discusses God's final judgment of humankind, emphasizing that its primary purpose is to determine each person's final and irrevocable eternal destiny. Let me read that again. We, our declaration of faith, this is essential to believe, 
discusses God's final judgment of humankind, emphasizing that its primary purpose is to determine each person's final and irrevocable eternal destiny. Everlasting punishment or everlasting life? You choose. Isn't that crazy? As choice is yours. How many people do we know that just reject that? I don't think they understand the depths of this. There is a place called hell. Right now, every believer or non-believer on this earth is in the presence of God. Whether they believe in him or not, because God's presence is here. And after the day of judgment, they'll be cast away and they will no longer be in the presence of God. It'll be an irrevocable judgment. We believe in heaven. Our declaration of faith describes various aspects of heaven, noting that it is characterized by entirely different dynamics than currently characterized characteristic life on earth, including perpetual worship, that is the dwelling place of, blood, of God's blood-washed children when they die, and that is the place of unbridled fellowship with Jesus. We'll be singing in praises. Eh? We believe in hell. Yes, we do. We preach that hell is a very real place. Article 20 describes various dynamics of hell and notes that it is a place where those who have rejected Christ, despite the Spirit's entreaty and warning, will spend eternity. Irrevocable. Final judgment. Okay? Hell is the overarching name for the Bible's two-compartment underworld of Sheol and Hades. You've heard me say that. And Jehenna. Lake of fire and hell. Understanding each of these realities is not easy biblically and has been the subject of many arguments throughout church history. The doctrine of hell has always been a part of Christian theology. Unfortunately, the Bible is arguably less clear on the nature of hell than on the existence of hell. The question today is not, is there a hell, but what is hell like? Right? We all wonder that. Contemporary church scholarship generally affirms one of four views on hell. The traditional view, the annihilation view, the Christian universalism view, and the Protestant purgatory view. Okay? These are the four views. But we believe in the Article 20 view, the traditional view espoused by Article 20 that it is Shawl and Hades, Lake of Fire, you'll be go there for eternity. Can't describe any more than that. We don't necessarily, as Foursquare, we don't believe in purgatory. Okay. Let's go to the last one, you guys. Then I can send you home. The last one, this is a essential. This is a must-do. Everything I've talked about is must-belief within Foursquare. Well, Chris, you didn't start talking about all these crazy things like praying in tongues and all that. Because the evidence of a believer who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit used to be the immediate evidence was the praying of tongues. Foursquare has changed their views of that. It is not required as an immediate evidence. Because some people will never speak in tongues. And the Foursquare church has finally realized that is the truth. That is not everyone's gift. Paul talks about it. Paul talks about having the gift, but Paul talks about the fact that most people are gifted in so many different ways. And that some people don't have all the gifts. Not everybody is gifted in every way. So let's talk about evangelism, the last one. Amy Simple McPherson asked, what is my task? That's what I'm going to ask you guys. What is your task? To what she answered, 
to get the gospel around the world in the shortest possible time to every man and woman and boy and girl. This statement points to the vitality and determination of our founder to fulfill what? The Great Commission. When Jesus was leaving this earth, and they said, what do we got to do? He didn't say, I want you to go home and make sure you study your Bible over and over and over and that you do your best to follow the Ten Commandments. He didn't say that. He said, go and tell everyone the good news about me. That is our mission. And if you looked at all this spirit-filled life and all these things I've read to you today, the essentials of what it looks like for us to be as a believer, this would be the outgoing expression of what's happened inwardly with you. The statement points to the vitality and determination of our founder to fulfill the Great Commission. The world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ from who? Those who have experienced redemption and reconciliation with God firsthand. The work is not done. There are people who are not here today. There are people living in Yuba City, whether you would believe this or not, that do not believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. They do not believe there is a God. They do not believe there is a heaven. They do not believe there is a hell. They do not believe in gifts of the Spirit. They do not believe in any of the stuff I talked to you about today. And ultimately, whether they want to believe it or not, the Bible teaches us that there's going to be an eternal, irrevocable destiny for them. And it is our job to go to D Street and hand out slips and tell people about Jesus. It is our job to go out into the streets and evangelize. It is our God, it is our job to represent and let the Holy Spirit work in and out of you everywhere you go in this city at all times. Amen? The world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The work is not done. There are still many friends, family members, and people groups that have not heard the gospel of Christ or they're not ready to accept it. We must heed the master's words when he tells us that the crops are now ripe and ready to be harvested. It is our job to go out and harvest. Amen? That is the 21 articles Declaration of Faith for Foursquare. If I didn't cover something that you question about what we do or don't believe, come see me after because I just covered everything that we do believe as essential must-believes. Okay? So we're not strange. We're not weird. We believe... <laughs> Dale said we're a little... We believe that there... This is what we believe in a nutshell. We believe that this earth was created by God. We believe that there was a fall of human, humankind. We believe that there was a plan of salvation set in place. We believe that the triune God sent his spirit in the form of man and the likeness of man to be put on a cross to die for our sins and that the only way we can have fellowship with him for life eternal, life eternal, irrevocable life eternal is through believing in him. We believe that there's a heaven and a hell and we believe that it is our job to go out and tell people this good news. That is our declaration of faith. So there's nothing strange when you go, Foursquare, what kind of church is that? We're a Christian church. We preach the good news about Jesus Christ, and that's it. That is what we do. 
Thanks, guys. I was really excited. I was good message today. Thank you. The council came to me and said when we had our last council meeting that it would be great to speak to you guys on what Foursquare is, who we are, what we believe, because next week's our annual partnership meeting where you decide, like, I want to I be a part of what you guys do here. That's a personal commitment that you make to yourself and God. And remember, don't do anything on solemn swearing oaths. We're not asking you to do that. It's a commitment you make with yourself and this body of believers. You know, make your yeses yes and your noes noes. Okay? Will you partner with us? I don't want you to answer that yet. Pray about it this week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for, I thank you for everything that you showed us today, Lord. I thank you that you've opened up our eyes to see who you are, what you want us to do, where you want us to go, who you want us to be. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. I thank you that you empower us, Lord, to do your works. I thank you in advance for everybody that's here to have a, just have a great week, Lord. Do something in their week, even if their week is rough. Do something to show up and say, I'm right here with you. I got you. We're going to get through this. Just keep going. Press forward. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. Remind them, Lord, this week, they're not done yet. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.